The Daily Rios Digest, January 16th, 2022. Movie Monday. Let's talk The Matrix, shall we? So Matrix Resurrections has been up on HBO Max. I have yet to see it, but that's because I wanted to go back and rewatch the original trilogy. The first one was fairly solid in my mind before the rewatch, but two and three were absolutely less, uh, less so. Um, I watched the trilogy. I watched the Animatrix, the anthology animated uh, movie. And I have to say, my largest takeaway for the trilogy, uh, not much actually happens, right? I mean, things happen. I get that, right? Things happen and there, there are things you can talk about with those movies. But if you want to boil it down to a very simple plot, it really can just be summed up by find the one end the war. I mean, honestly, is there anything else that happens in those three movies that aren't related to those two elements in one way or another? You know? Um, Now, I do have to preface this by saying that um, I guess my reactions to this trilogy and to this rewatch is absolutely colored by the fact that Since 1999, since 2003, we've seen a lot of movies that have hit the same beats, the same style, the same attention. Uh, It's no secret that The Matrix is a total sum of many, many parts before it, whether they want to admit it or not. And while it has honored and pulled from and lifted from many of those sources... It also has spawned uh, a lot of things that were inspired by it after it, right? I mean, this this is all just, these aren't new thoughts. So, and I, and I know that there are a lot of places where you can go and get some really in-depth analysis and annotations of this movie. That's not really what I'm going to talk about here. Um, for me, I'm just kind of surprised that the level that I built up, especially the first movie in my mind, the mystery and the awe of watching that movie in 1999, uh, when I'm watching it now, or, or as I watched it just a few, you know, over the last few weeks, I'm very surprised that it's, it's not that difficult to follow anymore. And I guess it's because of all of those inspirations Um, that maybe I'm a little more familiar with prior to the Matrix movies, or I've seen so much that has been inspired by it that it all just kind of circles around. And as I watched the trilogy again, in my mind, I went, wow, why was I, why do I in my brain have it that these movies are really dense and you have to watch every bit of it? Now, that's not true, especially not especially not not of the third one and a little and more of the second one. The first one still has a lot of the mystique 
that I built up around it in my brain. But by the time you get to the second one and the third one, those are just barely, they're just action movies, really. So I just wrote a bunch of notes here. These are all just kind of like outline notes, nothing deep, uh, for each of the movies. So, for instance, for The Matrix, the first one, I wrote the philosophies and questions and implications of the first movie and the world that it was trying to create tend to slip away and tend to get less and less when you get into movies two and three. And by the time you get to three, it really becomes a race against the clock kind of movie, a big dumb action movie, if you want to say. Um, I know that the fight scenes in the first one are influenced by many, many movies before it and stunts, American movies, non-American movies. I get that. I totally get that. Um, but as I was watching the first movie, there are a couple moves in it that I was like, oh, well, I've seen that move in a whole bunch of movies after it. Um, so the visuals, obviously, the, the visual component of that movie still resonates to this day. Uh, I even think the Howard, Turn, Howard Stern TV show, when it was on the E! Network, uh, they had created a new intro for it where Howard was standing in the middle of like some birds and all the and TV screens or whatever, and all of these cameras were around it. So you got that 360 feel. I think that was created post Matrix uh, one or two or whatever, or maybe who, for all I know, maybe it was inspired by something that was on MTV. Who knows? Um, the duality of Neo and Trinity. It was really interesting to feel that with this re rewatch. And to kind of put it in my head, things like, hmm, first of all, they look off, they look a lot alike, right? And you can talk about two people coming together, two people who share destinies. Uh, you know, they are stronger together than they are individually. You know, two people making a third um persona if you want to say so it's interesting that her name is trinity and his name is neat so it's like he's the one she's the third um there's a lot of things you can play around with with that and although i don't have the right words to talk about this next thing you know it, it has since come out that a lot of these matrix movies are allegories for the trans story uh, of the directors and especially in the most, you know, past five, six years. Um, so as I'm watching it, I, I, it's resonating for me, you know. When I watch the development of Neo and Trinity, I start to see it. I start to see their kind of common linkage, I guess, if you want to say. And again, this is all because, you know, this movie is 20 plus years old. Um, if you know the movie Hedwig and the Angry Inch, there's a song called The Origin of Love. And in it, in the lyrics, they talk about how there were three types of beings that roamed the earth. One of them, um, basically one of them were two males stuck together or, or um, yeah, two, ma two males that were together, two females that were together. And then there was a third being where it was a male and a female together. Um, and they were referred to as like children of the sun, children of the earth, children of the moon. And uh, one of the gods was jealous, so they split these beings down the middle. And that's why in this song, they talk about um, 
this is why you gravitate. You're looking for whoever it was you were split from. from. And that's why sometimes it's male-male, sometimes female-female, sometimes male-female. Um, and there was a part of me that that song was playing in my head as I was watching Neo and Trinity and how they could very well be two beings that were split and are finding each other again. Now, that doesn't... it. There are other kind of hints in the larger trilogy of of this sort of same concept, you know, two becoming one, et cetera, et cetera. But it's it doesn't hit as strong as it did as I was watching it this time with Neo and Trinity. Um, again, I don't have the proper uh, experience to really delve deep in that thought. It was just something that came to me as I was watching it. So that first movie, you know, still works in many ways, and I quite enjoyed it. So then we go to The Matrix Reloaded, the second one. Um, this gives us a chance to open the world up even more. We see other resistance fighters. We see other beings within The Matrix, such as the twins, which are still really cool. Um, there are parallel journeys uh, the journey that Neo is taking and the journey that Mr. Smith is taking in this, um, in this Agent Smith in, in, in this second movie, that's cool and interesting. It doesn't necessarily go anywhere by the third one, but it's there. The action is definitely ramped up. The basketball court scene, the fight with all of the multiple Smiths, is fun to watch, but doesn't necessarily hold up. Whereas the highway sequence still holds up. I really thoroughly enjoyed that. Uh, so then, you know, you have this second movie. It's expanding. It's, it's setting up a, this new situation where all of the Sentinels are coming to Zion to destroy it. That's the idea that's carried over into the third one. And, of course, the, you know, gang, ha they have to go and find the... Oracle again, and they have to do a whole bunch of stuff. And, and um, this is where I was like, okay, it's great. We're opening up all this stuff. I like that. Um, it doesn't necessarily go as deep because it almost it's almost like the movie is more interested in showing you, well, here's all the other areas of the Matrix that we didn't touch on in the first one. We're going to keep exploding the movie outward and outward into the macro, and I really wanted to know the micro. Um, now when we get to that architect scene, you know, I'm, I'm a fairly smart person. I know how to decipher scenes and dialogue. That scene is still confusing. I still had to, I had to watch it a couple times. I mean, I get what is being said. I just think the execution of it and the delivery of it doesn't land as well as they think um, it, it is, you know, and I, I don't know if there are interviews where they're like, yeah, you know, we probably could have done that a little differently, but whatever. It still left me a little confused and uh, pulled me out of the movie a little bit, especially because I knew it was coming. And I want to know more about all of these different iterations before the one we're watching, right? They're saying that this movie is, and this journey is the sixth iteration Okay, well then what does that mean? Does that mean it physically happened? Does that mean it was all part of the Matrix mentally? Uh, you know, was it was it the same people 
You know, was it Keanu Reeves? Well, not Keanu Reeves, but you know what I mean. I mean, what what does that mean? And someone might say, well, you got to go read this or you got to go watch this. And that's fair. I get it. But I want to know it from the movie itself. So that frustrated me a little bit with this second one. And I also thought the cliffhanger was really odd for this second one. Now, in between the second and third one, that's when I watched the Animatrix. And those were great. Those were, you know, beautifully designed and interesting stories and told a little bit more of the backstory of what happened between machines and humans and had some few little cameos from the actors of the trilogy. It was great. It's it's well worth a watch if you haven't seen it. So then we get to Matrix Revolutions, the third movie. And um, yeah, as I was watching this, I was like, okay, so it's a race against time. All the machines are coming, a big battle in Zion. Neo has to do his thing. Oh, we, we are not getting into the head um, for this movie in the way that I wanted or expected from the first movie. And really, I felt by the end of it, I thought, wow, what is this ending? This ending <laughs> kind of just ends and, and okay, there's peace, but... What does peace mean now, especially between the machines and humans? And where the hell is Neo going? And what happened to him? And what really was going on with Smith in the quote-unquote real world? And um, the, the Matrix opens up even more. So not only is it a conflict between humans and machines, but also between the humans, machines, and rogue programs within the Matrix, such as the the Train Man and obviously the Oracle and some other beings. What do they mean? How did they come about? You know, where I don't know. All of that opened up into larger ideas, but I felt like the payoff wasn't necessarily there. Um, and is that what the new movie? is going to cover. I don't know. I haven't seen it yet. Now, on Twitter, Julian Lytle pointed uh, pointed out to me that I should watch the cutscenes of the Enter the Matrix game, which I did. And, and that was good. I'm glad I did because it does set you up a little bit better for the third movie. Just for the sense that as you're starting that third movie, there's like all these new characters and you're like, wait, what? Who are these? Wait, who's that person? I don't know who that is. So I'm glad I watched that. You can find those on YouTube. So definitely watch that. So I will be getting to Matrix Resurrections. I imagine, you know, it's taking place years after. So there's got to be a lot of questions that they're going to have to wrap up from the third one. Who knows if they do? Um, You know, well, people do know because they've seen it and I've seen some reviews. But I want to, you know, experience it for myself now that I've seen all three of them. And it makes me think these movies probably were more fun to talk about all of the implications and suggestions of the Matrix, uh, whether that means the you know the impact that it had on geek culture or gaming culture, or just what it meant to the world around us around us on some level, you know. Um, I know there are a lot of resources online analyzing the movies, uh, annotating the movies, discussing them, digging deep, and then all of the new facts that have come out. You know, such as, you know, the the journey of the directors and uh, at the allegory of it being a trans story and um, all of that gets layered on top of it. So, 
you know, I'm I, I want to watch the third movie before before I get spoiled. If anybody has any you know comments that that they want to send me, but I I really just want to hear your thoughts. If anybody did a rewatch recently, did you feel the same um, as I did? You know, because when I saw that first movie in a cheap theater uh, at the time, because I missed the first run of it, but it was shortly after it had been re- released. And I think I took somebody, uh, an ex-girlfriend or something like that. And I sat there and was just like, what is this movie? So even back then, I, you know, I was very overwhelmed by it. Then I remember getting to the second one and kind of liking it, the third one and going, what did I just watch? Uh, And now I feel the same way all these years later. So let me know your thoughts. Let me know your thoughts about The Matrix. The best of 2021, or maybe I should really call this the favorites of 2021, as chosen by you, the listeners, uh, the categories, I should say. So I put a call out for you, the listeners, to send me categories for what you want me to talk about in terms of books that shipped in 2021. And the first one that I got is from John Griggis, who has been a guest on the show. And uh, John offered up two, and I'm going to focus on one of them for this segment. And John asks, what's the best indie story or book? The tough part might be the definition of indie these indie these days, such a wide range. But the purpose of the category is to share works that fellow listeners might not be aware exists, but should. So that's the parameter that John um, put on for this uh, segment. So again, I hesitate to say best, even though that's what I preface it as, because that's just easy to say. Really, it's and it's not even really favorites, but... Um, I went through my calendar of my my spreadsheet of, uh, you know, all the books that I wish I could buy week to week, and I noticed a trend for 2021. So I, this might not be exactly what John is looking for, but it it, it kind of works for me. It definitely works for me for, for what John is asking, and especially when you think of books outside of the big two. So what I noticed is... Um, I really try to make an effort to list and try to get my hands on or at least become aware of a lot of works by Latinx creators, Hispanic, works from South American creators, uh, Mexican creators. Now, this is something I've been trying to do, obviously, for a long time, but I think last year and especially within the last, uh, you know, handful of very turbulent years... I've been making um, more and more of an effort to to be aware of this. Now, a lot of these uh, choices have shown up on like a New Comics Wednesday segment as a recommendation, and I always like to go back and listen to those because then you know they're they're kind of like a checklist for me to go, hey, you recommended them, so maybe you should go read them and try to do a fuller review later. Uh, and that's something I definitely want to do. Um, as we get into this new year. So a lot of themes are shared between a lot of these projects. Thing, things like, 
you know, asylum seeking and migration, food, culture, friends and family, existentialism, environmentalism, art. I mean, is there any wonder why everybody is enamored with Encanto right now? (laughs) So some of these are hardcover. Some of these are, are, you know, individual issues or series. And uh, I'm just running down a list here of things that, you know, feel very similar and especially for me, I feel like this is where I gravitated towards when it came to quote-unquote indie or non-big two. Uh, so such as Home from Image Comics, which you can read the first issue on their website, a miniseries. The writer is Julio Anta from uh, New York City, raised in a Cuban and Colombian family. And then also Illegal Cargo, that's the music you heard as the intro here, from Black Panel Press, written and illustrated by Mexico City-based comic artist Augusto Mora. And both of those dealing with migration and um, other, other very similar themes. You have Onion Skin from Top Shelf by Edgar Camacho, also from Mexico. Dry Foot, the miniseries from Mad Cave Studios a Mexican writer in Texas, uh, Jared Lujan, and then the artist is Orlando Casado, a Colombian-born creator based out of Atlanta. You have Crude, a memoir from Graphic Mundi, and this is by written by Ecuadorian lawyer and activist Pablo Fajardo, and then it was translated. Um, and then from Fantagraphics, you have Beatnik Buenos Aires, and this is by Diego Arandojo, and Facundo Percio from Argentina. Now, the big two are, you know, slowly making inroads into celebrating the vast representation of the world, but the indie circuit usually, usually has been fairly decent at doing that job with, with obviously room to grow. So even just that handful of um, graphic novels, comics, etc., uh, even with that, I feel like that's a really good starting point to then go to other places as well. So I appreciated that this request from John gave me, you know, gave me a good uh, overview of all of the things that I've been trying to make myself aware of and things that I've purchased and, and continue to purchase. And um, now the goal is to read it, to read a lot of that stuff, finish reading some of those things. And to talk about them more and try to get even more works. When I was trying to do a Google search of the best Latinx comics of 2021, not a lot of things came up. Um, so I had to dig deeper uh, once I wrote all this list down and, and I tried to see if people were talking about them. And not a lot, not a lot of people are. So I think that's why I feel like a certain responsibility to at least mention them every week if they come out with the new Comics Wednesday or here at the end here uh, as per John's category. So that would be my go-to. Don't want to call it the best. Don't want to call it the favorite, but whatever that means, whatever it means for 2021, if I go out of the big two, for me, it's kind of embracing these works um, by creators, not only just because they're creating comics, but because they are creating works that resonate with their identities, with their ethnicities, uh, or with uh, situations and themes that resonate with 
these types of ethnicities. So there you go, John. There's uh, uh, your answer for that first question. And thanks for sending that in. And anybody else, please let me know what kind of category, whether it's serious or fun or silly, whatever, what do you want me to talk about from the year 2021? New Comics Wednesday, recommendations for the week of January 12th, starting with Boom Studios' The Many Deaths of Layla Star trade paperback by Ram V and Philippe Andrada. Humanity is on the verge of discovering immortality. As a result, the avatar of death is cast down to Earth to live a mortal life in Mumbai as 20-something Layla Star. Struggling with her newfound mortality, Layla has found a way to be placed in the time and place where the creator of immortality will be born. Will Layla take her chance to stop mankind from permanently altering the cycle of life, or will death really become a thing of the past? This is a series that explores the fine line between living and dying through the lens of magical realism, and it collects the five-issue uh, miniseries, $14.99. From Titan, and this was the why I played that intro music, Phantom of the Opera hardcover, Kevin Scott, Joseph Maria Baroy. This is a graphic novel adaptation of Andrew Lloyd Webber's musical, including passages where they, quote-unquote, sing on the page. Uh, $29.99. This was uh, solicited, I think, over a year ago, and obviously it was delayed, but it is out now. I have a, a PDF review copy of it, so I am really looking forward to seeing it and reading it and seeing how it translates. You know, there is a movie. There's a movie with Gerard Butler, of all people, in the role of um, the Phantom, and how is this going to be translated? And this is not the only Phantom of the Opera comic book translation. There was one last year from a different company. I don't know if it had anything to do with the musical. But um, I got a PDF copy. I have a, you know, a promo email from the company. So I have to really dig into this because I'm just fascinated to see how a stage musical um, translates to to the page. I think they did this with the Rocky Horror Show, but I can't remember. I remember there was a comic book version, and I think I saw on the page that they had tried to translate, like, for instance, the Time Warp dance, you know. So uh, I will be looking into this. We have uh, Sports is Hell from Ben Passmore. After her city wins the Super Bowl, T is separated from her friend, during a riot and joins a small clique fighting its way through armed groups of football fanatics to meet a star receiver that just might end the civil war or become the city's new oppressive leader. This is a warped reflection of sports fandom, greed, racism, and chest-thumping allegiances. Um, this is a second release of this particular work by Ben Passmore, who is based out of Philadelphia. This is $24.99. Uh, 
And this is uh, from Silver Sprocket. And then uh, finally from DC Comics, we have Justice League versus the Legion of Superheroes, one of six. Bendis, Godlewski, Cody. Uh, 1,000 years in the future, a Legion of Superheroes comes together to get to dedicate their lives to recapturing the great age of heroes of the 21st century. When the heroes discover that reality is falling to a great darkness in both times simultaneously, the Justice League and the Legion of Superheroes must team up to stop it all. But what is the connection between the secrets of the new Gold Lanterns and the coming of the Great Darkness. Some of this is spinning out of um, the end of the Infinite Frontier miniseries. I am not finished with Bendis' Legion of Superheroes title, so I don't know if it has any con major connections to that. And I'm not caught up on his Justice League either. All I know is it is the Legion of Superheroes in an event having to do with the Great Darkness. Now, whether that means the Great Darkness, which is an old Legion of Superheroes saga from the early 80s, or having to do with Alan Moore's Darkness, um, which was per personified in the American Gothic story in Swamp Thing, leading up to Swamp Thing issue 50, also in the 80s, and everything that had to do with the light and the dark war in that story. So I guess we're going to find out. And there you go. That's it. That's your short list of recommendations for this week. Hey, everybody. Jay Gonzo here, creator of Lamano Del Destino. Just wanted to take a second to let you know that Series 2 of Lamano Del Destino is going to be happening through Zoo. Series 2 is slated to be a five-issue miniseries, still written and drawn by me. In the original series, we hinted at a broader world in which Lucha Libre was the most important thing in that world, and in this series, we're going to be exploring that much, much further. Because the luchadors are famous in their world, they do things like make TV shows, have cartoons about them, and make movies. In this first issue, we're going to have the entirety of one of the movies Lamano has made. This movie is called Tangier Target and is an homage to the James Bond films of the 1960s. It involves Lamano going off to foreign lands as a proxy for the CIA and finding trouble along the way. Issue one of this series is going to be an 80-page giant wherein we see the direct continuation of the story from the first series. Then we'll move to a movie premiere and watch the entirety of the Tangier Target and see the comic book adaptation of that movie, concluding in the last section of the book, which will be back in the real world of Lamano del Destino. As this series explores the world of Lamano del Destino, we will be introducing many new characters, both friend and foe, as well as exploring new exotic locales within the world of Lamano del Destino. Backing this campaign will allow me to solely focus on the creation of Lamano del Destino. We'll be closing at the end of January, and I will be producing the book through February and March for early spring delivery on the books. I know some of you backed the Kickstarter on this and have moved over to Zoop to support me, and I thank you for that. Uh, I know some of you are wondering why I've gone with Zoop, and to be honest with you, it's just the uh, wonderful support that they offer. With Zoop, they handle all the fulfillment and logistics, and all I have to worry about is making the artwork. And those of you who did back the Kickstarter know all the problems I had with the logistics there. So I've called in some trained professionals to help me on that front so I can make sure the quality stays as good as it was with the original. I thank you for your time, and I hope you consider backing. Ralph Waldo Emerson. A letter to his daughter Ellen, April 8th, 1854.
Finish every day and be done with it. For manners and for wise living, it is a vice to remember. You have done what you could. Some blunders and absurdities no doubt crept in. Forget them as soon as you can. Tomorrow is a new day. You shall begin it well and serenely, and with too high a spirit to be cumbered with your old nonsense. This day for all that is good and fair, it is too dear with its hopes and invitations to waste a moment on the rotten yesterdays. Feedback Friday. So I got a response from Mike Atchison on the multiverse topic that was kicked off by David from Texas in a previous digest, basically about how the multiverse is permeating uh, Marvel movies and DC movies and the reaction to that. So um, this is Mike's response. I'm going to read it here, and I will interject where, where my thoughts kick in. Mike says, I don't see Marvel and Sony's late jumping into the multiverse fray as a singular validation of the concept. The overall concept certainly doesn't need validation, not in the medium of superhero comics and not in science fiction in general. In recent years, the theory of a multiverse, or at least the laws of physics that support it, has become more acceptable in the scientific community. However, I do see what may be David's underlying and unspoken point of the first part of his question, that it is human nature to feel vindicated in one's belief and support of a story concept by seeing it expand from one more limited medium of comics to a broader audience in TV and movies. It's kind of like the modern day, at least since 1978, acceptance of superheroes in TV and movies as serious action-adventure stories, and not just camp humor or kitsch, where you wouldn't see adults wearing apparel representing their favorite superhero or character in days past. Now it is prevalent, and even people who know nothing of the source material consider, consider themselves fans of superheroes and superhero TV and movies. Mike continues here, Sorry, I am digressing a bit. I agree with you that Marvel has finally acknowledged the usefulness of the multiverse as a way to expand the storytelling possibilities, and I think that is great. While Marvel has always had alternate existences where stories occurred, there was no structure to it. I like structure, so that's probably why I loved the original DC multiverse. Every universe had a reason, a theme, and something that made it unique, but without being so expansive to make it confusing and diluted. It was okay to know there were an infinite number of universes, but part of the fun was the slow reveal of them over the course of time and the limited nature of them. Earth 1, 2, 3, X, S, even Earth Prime, all rolled out of the course of several years, not dropped on the readers all at once, like 52, New 52, and the rest were. I'm all for cataloging, but there are limits. It's okay to just say a story is Elseworlds or imaginary without being compelled to pigeonhole 
it with a Earth name. Because of the story-driven rollout of the original pre-crisis Earths, it all made sense to me and I never had a problem remembering who was from each Earth. I am a self-admitted, unabashed continuity kid or cop, depending on depends on how strongly I feel about something. Maybe it's the OCD in me, but I struggle with the statement made by DC through Death Metal that it all happened, and every character remembers each iteration of their existence and every other character's existence. This does not wash with me and feels like a jumbled mess. The only way I thought there could be an it all happened situation is hypertime, but that is not a linear existence and the separate branches of the timeline cannot interact with each other like the individual universes of a physical multiverse can. At least my feeble mind can't wrap itself around it. Now I'm going to interject here um, by saying I there are instances where characters acknowledging that there is a multiverse or that there have been previous versions of themselves uh, where it has worked for me, such as Greg Rucka's Lois Lane, especially the, the last few issues, and uh, in, Be in Bendis' Action Comics run with Superman during the John Romita Jr. run, there were conversations, most notably with Mr. Terrific, about how Superman is, is very much a multiverse focus point, and there's a reason why he does remember some things but doesn't remember others because it would be too much for his mind. And even in the Superman Lois TV show, there are references to alternate Superman and um, things that have to do with the multiverse. In many ways, it, it almost danger, comes dangerously close to these characters realizing that they are in comics. And that's definitely something that Morrison always played around with, you know, even as far back as Animal Man in American comics. Um, and, you know, Morrison was one of the architects of hypertime and then you think of Morrison's multiversity uh, uh you know event and um yeah so I understand Mike's point here um but but there are instances where it does work for me so let me go back into Mike's email I loved what you said about Marvel's very public aversion to a multiverse in the DC fashion, just because it was a DC thing. Now that the MCU is embracing the concept, I want to say about time. To David's second question, I agree with you that despite it not yet being explored in the movies, it has everywhere else. The statement you made that DC is synonymous with the multiverse concept is about the truest thing I have heard in a while, and any attempt to argue about who did what first comes across as trite. Not that that will stop the internet from promoting the argument. Fussing over one company beating the other to the punch on something just feeds the frenzy of the antagonists. The origins of creativity are so amorphous that it is senseless to try to pinpoint them. Just think of Swamp Thing and Man Thing. As the idiom goes, there is nothing new under the sun, and the multiverse is no exception. I'm going to follow up that thought uh, with my next part in this segment, Mike. So let me finish Mike's email here. I am just happy for the embarrassment of riches we have these days in seeing our favorite characters portrayed in so many mediums. While I don't need others to share my love for DC movies, I also am more of a critic of DC's characters' portrayal in TV and movies because they are the characters I love most. 
my headcanon of how I think they would act or speak or dress is stronger, so I naturally nitpick more. My friend Scott from our podcast is the same way with Marvel. Where I might love a scene in a Marvel movie, he tells me why it was done wrong or is inconsistent with how it is in the comics. It's also like being harder on your own kids than the neighborhood kids because they are your kids. This was a lot of fun thinking about it, and I appreciate both David's questions and your comments on them, Mike. And by the way, Mike's podcast, uh, I believe the one he's talking about is Campus Comics Podcast. I believe that's the name of it. You can go on Facebook and look for Campus Comics Cast. Now, to the second part of this topic, uh, on Twitter, Mark Andraco, who was a writer, a writer of comics, most notably the Manhunter series in the 2000s, um, wrote something on Twitter along the same lines of David's initial uh, question about the multiverse in movies. And this is Mark's tweet. Is anybody else worried that the increasingly complicated multiverse fetishes in the MCU and DC films could become as convoluted and impenetrable as the comics often are. So far, so good, but man, when the train derails, it's going to be ugly. Now, I responded, uh, not to Mark, I just took a picture of it and responded to my own feed. Here's what I said on Twitter, and then I'll expand later. So I said... I said no to his question, and I wrote two words, soap operas. Comic movies have nothing on those convoluted storylines that are decades long, with people back from the dead, surprise twins, crossovers with other soaps, new generations, and announcements of new actors in the show. You'll be watching an episode and an, and an announcer will say the role of so-and-so will now be played by so-and-so. And you just think, cool, and you go from there. The Ice Princess story in General Hospital was a superhero story. The entirety of Passions was a whirlwind. I feel the masses will be fine. If they can keep up to date on soap operas and wrestling, your superhero multiversal silliness that I love so much is a piece of cake. In many ways, you're treading old ground, which is a point that Mike made in that email that I read. I really do firmly believe that people that follow soap operas and people that follow wrestling, heck, people that follow sports, where they can understand, you know, team changes and character changes and actor changes and with wrestling, people going to different federations and different... um, uh, you know, when, when different wrestling shows were on different channels and in different houses, I don't know what they call them, um, soap operas, soap operas that have winding histories that fold back in on itself. And, and while it may not exactly be m- the multiverse as we know it, um, there are a lot of similarities. I mean, just the longevity of a story, having to keep track of things, different characters coming in and out. Um, generational families, the different actor switches, new information coming into light, just like a retcon would be in comics. With wrestling, you know, you have different cast of characters and they change identities and sometimes there are more than one of the same people. Um, Yeah, I think the reaction to this most recent Spider-Man movie is proof that 
people are going to be okay without going into specifics. You know, I, I feel like the worry that that is um, being pushed in that tweet, uh, while I can certainly understand it, um, it's it's so new within the movie universe, and it's so simple because you can watch it. You can instantly recognize it's like the crisis the crisis on the cw you know they didn't even use michael keaton or any of the major stars from the first batman movie they used knox the character of knox right but you got it you got it because of the music you got it because of the style you got it because of the actor same thing with burt ward you got it because of the actor and the colors and the music there's there's more to help us and more to guide us and it's not so much, I think the worry is wrong, right? Because, I mean, I guess the point is that, you know, in other media, we don't get a lot of um, instances where there are characters played by two different actors on two different shows, like the same character, two different actors, two different shows at the same time. Not that I can think of them. Now that I say it, there might be examples. But, for instance, the rumor that they may want to do more Andrew Garfield Spider-Man movies. And it's like, okay, sure, why not? You know, why not finish that trilogy that never got finished? Um, there are definitely multiple Superman running around and multiple Flash, you know, and people are not confused. In fact, we celebrated when... Grant Gustin and Ezra Miller showed up on the Flash TV show together. And so I don't think they're going to be as confused as you think they are. Again, because these are living actors, they're moving, we have music to help, we have voice to help. And um, I don't know, I, I just don't, I don't see it as necessarily a bigger problem. Especially, as I said, when you think about things like soap operas and wrestling. I mean, it's, it's, it's been here. We... You know, or sports, team mem teammates, members, they go from team to team, they bounce around and, and, you know, do we have a problem? It's like going from world to world, right? Do we have a problem with that? No. So um, I think it's Mark and Draco and the, the people that commented in that thread being a little too worrisome and not celebrating the potential of this. And... Um, you could probably argue that maybe it's coming too soon, that they should just keep developing their own world before messing around with all other worlds, you know? Um, in many ways, I feel like, you know, when the first Watchmen, or when Watchmen came out, the movie, I was like, really? Already? We haven't even really done a lot of superhero movies to this point, and you're going to try to do a movie that's basically a de deconstruction of superhero movies? Okay, I get it. Um, but I'm fine with it. I'm really fine with it. In fact, I'm quite excited by it. And I think it will work in its favor. And then, you know, they'll tire of it when people aren't interested anymore and they'll go into something new and different. So that's how I feel. As always, if you want to respond to anything said here on the Digest, you can do so at peter at thedailyrios.com or leave a comment on the website, thedailyrios.com. Follow me on Twitter, Peter J. Rios. Follow the Daily Rios Instagram. Send me your promos. Send me your best of categories. This has been The Daily Rios, episode 542, the 28th Digest for Sunday, January 16th, 2022. Talk to you soon. The MTV Movie Awards are a systemic anomaly inherent to the programming of The Matrix. 
Although the transport process has altered your consciousness, you irrevocably remain human, ergo, concordantly, vis-a-vis. -vis. You know what? I have no idea what the hell I'm saying.